You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the rest of the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Hello, all. Alan Seiler. Yo. And Veronica Daschle. What's up? And you've got some news for us today, <laughs> Alan. That was pretty good. I, I tried to throw you off by using yo again. Like, <laughs> you had something else prepared. I did. I did. She had a backup plan. Well done with the suck. That was good. (laughs) Okay, yeah, so let's do some news. There's not a whole lot this week. Um, Just a couple of little things. Nothing, you know, no show-related stuff this week that I've found. Uh, The first one is that the Boston Museum of Science has partnered with the Nimoy family, and they've announced that uh, they're going to be developing this 20-foot statue of the Vulcan Salute to honor Leonard Nimoy. Wow. Um, Boston was Nimoy's hometown, of course, and uh, he has had association with the Museum of Science in the past. He narrated uh, the film that was used as like the visitor welcome for uh, the museum, and it was in place for like over 30 years. Mm -hmm. So as people came to the museum, they would come into their little theater and there'd be a film and and the film was narrated by Nimoy. Uh, so he's had this association with the uh, Boston Museum of Science in the past. And so now they've uh, partnered to uh, have this permanent 20 foot statue of his famous Vulcan salute um, that's going to be installed on their premises. So that's kind of nice. Uh, last time we talked about the um, Boston was going to announce uh, Leonard Nimoy Day. And we were wondering if that was a, a permanent annual thing. We still don't know that, but at least we know that this is now a permanent yeah, uh, salute to him. So that's kind of cool. Will it have his fingerprints on it? Is that going to be that detailed? That's a very <laughs> want, These are the important questions. <laughs> it had not actually occurred to me to ask that question. Now I want a 20-foot Vulcan salute in my yard. <laughs> <laughs> Something to aspire towards. With Nimoy's... It's got to be accurate. Yeah. Come on. I'm sure we can do a screenshot of, of his hands and like ultra zoom in and mm-hmm. see where all the lines are absolutely absolutely yeah and some kind of hd thing yeah definitely um the next thing i've got is uh and this is you know not a whole important thing or nothing but but shatner has admitted that he's never watched a star trek episode or most of the movies <laughs> that doesn't surprise me no that doesn't surprise me at all <laughs> um because he says the experience of looking back on them is painful because quote I don't like the way I look and what I do. He has, he's watched um, Star Trek V, Final Frontier, because it was the one that he directed. Right. He had to, I mean, you, you, yeah. the director has to watch it probably 20 times, at least, you know, just making the film. But that, that's true about Shatter. He, he's not a guy who looks back. He's just always looking to the next thing and going forward. Mm-hmm. Um, I was listening to, uh, on the official Star Trek podcast, they were talking to Ben Stiller, and he was—he has all of these artifacts from the original series and glass cases in his house, like the Gorn head and all that kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And Shatner was there for a Super Bowl party, and he was trying to show him all these old things, and Shatner just didn't care. 
You're just like, ah, well, it's something I did before. I don't, you know, he's just not that kind of guy who is going to sit around and watch himself from 50 years ago. He's busy working on his next show or next project. Absolutely. And that's not unusual because I was, um, I was listening to an interview with Denzel Washington and if he can avoid it, he never watches himself also. Mm. And uh, Carrie Mulligan, who's recently, and she's in a movie that's all the hot kind of a rage right now. I was listening to an interview with her and she said when she had to go see the, the, her most recent movie, it was horrible for her to sit in a theater with an audience. She just doesn't like to watch herself. Many actors can't stand watching themselves. Most of those people, that's, that's how they are. Yeah. You get so in your own head and you get so critical of your own, mm. you know, mm. uh, analyzing your own work that then you start second guessing yourself the next time that you step in front of a camera. Yeah. You get self-conscious. And so, yeah, I can understand how they don't want to actually watch themselves work. And maybe if I hadn't wasted so much time watching Star Trek, I'd be as successful as Shatner. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's very likely. The last thing I've got here is that on uh, Monday, March 29th, the crowdfunding campaign uh, for the Voyager documentary surpassed the $1 million mark. Nice. Wow. Wow. Uh, the documentary is called To the Journey, Looking Back at Star Trek Voyager. And uh, it looks like they're going to be using that extra funding uh, to do more HD conversion on some of the original footage. Good. Yeah, awesome. exactly. exactly. Now just do a stretch goal for the entire series. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And why don't we just do a crowdfunder like this to get Voyager and uh, DS9? There's people all there that'll do it. Absolutely. Just do and one if you clip pay at a them, time. Then they don't have to work their regular jobs and they can do what they want to do. <laughs> right on. Let's do it. All right. So that's all I got. Wow. One, one thing I wanted to add, um, I read online today that Barbara Reeder had passed away. And if you're not familiar with Barbara Reeder, she, she started a website called Star Trek Reviewed um, many years ago where she talks about, I mean, basically promoting any fan film, no matter how big, how small. It could be a, a 15 second parody. Um and has done a lot of work just bringing a lot of fan films to people's attention. And she made her Star Trek reviewed website is a great resource. So just want to offer our condolences to her family and say what a, what an asset to the Star Trek community she's been and what a loss it is that she's passed away. Oh, I hadn't seen that. I'm so glad you brought that up. Yeah. All right. Do we, uh, that's all the news. Keith, did you have any days in Trek for today? I sure do. Um, just a few. This is being, well, as, as of today, March 30th. And so looking at some of the This Week in Trek, Trek history, interesting on this day on 1967, March 30th, an original, an episode of the original series premiered called The Alternative Factor. Oof. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> And for those who may not know, that's that really horrible cross universe thing where this guy Lazarus comes from another dimension, another universe, and you can't tell which is, uh, yeah, I can't even give you a good synopsis of it. It's, <laughs> <laughs> it's generally considered one of the worst Star Treks of all time. And it's one we got to find somebody who really loves it to talk about it. I think that. it's easily the worst episode of season one. This is true. This is true. It's only funny for the... Um, for the really kind of corny ending where Spock says, what of Lazarus and Kirk uh, Shatner gets really kind of melodramatic and he does that, what of Lazarus and what of Lazarus. And they do that really horrible special effects they do back in the day, you know, the kind of negative film effects. And yeah. the last thing you see is Lazarus and Lazarus are fighting each other and they're going to be fighting forever. I mean, ugh, yeah. I mean, there are worse episodes of the next of the original series, but that is definitely considered one. It's at least bad enough to laugh at. So <laughs> got that going for it. <laughs> then, 
going forward all into 1992 airing on um, this time uh, the next generation one of my favorite episodes is the first duty hey yeah absolutely great the episode where wesley crusher gets involved in a cover-up at starfleet academy and nick lacano later tom paris is the leader of the of the group that gets wesley involved this i think it's a really really great episode it's one of my favorites of uh, the next generation yeah the picard and wesley scenes are intense in that one awesome Yeah. yeah absolutely great at the first duty also going on at this time I found something i found in researching is very interesting it was a it was a time of endings going on back in 1997 they had just started on on march 29th so one day before deep space nine was had started filming what you leave behind the wow. series finale one time which, yeah, considered by many to be i guess maybe the number two series finale after all good things i consider it better but that's me i don't love all yes. good things which will get me which will get me killed in some circles i like all good things i don't love it also on um, this date in 2001 filming had begun on voyager endgame the series finale of the voyager series mm-hmm. wow. another, yeah wow and ta- charles another time travel yeah so, <laughs> you're you're into that in 2012, ser- filming was ending, winding down on the Kelvinverse movie Star Trek Into Darkness. Okay. And we'll just leave that there. <laughs> there. There are opinions about that movie. Some people think it's the worst of the Kelvinverse movies. I actually don't think it's all that bad because I don't love the Kelvinverse. So <laughs> <laughs> I see you over there, Alan. It's okay. For, yeah. And then uh, some birthdays on March, this date, and um, this week. Um, Marina Sirtis was born on March 29th, 1955. Right. Yeah. So wow. happy birthday to Miss Sirtis. And Mark, no, Mark Silvestri was born on March 29th in 1958. And Mark Silvestri is a famous comic artist that people know of, I'm sure. And people may wonder why in the world am I bringing up Mark Silvestri? Well, I found out that Mark Silvestri contributed to drawing a comic book that came out in 1996. It was called Star Trek X-Men. <laughs> which I, yes, I'd never heard of and I'd never read. And the synopsis for it says the insane mutant Proteus has found a kindred spirit in another universe in the guise of Gary Mitchell. Don't ask me how this happened. <laughs> Together, the two power bad men decide to merge their universes into one and can only be stopped by the combined actions of the X-Men, the Shi'ar Empire and the crew of the Starship Enterprise. I didn't even know this I never had the comic, but I had the the novel follow up with the next gen crew crossover with the X Men back in the nineties. Yeah. Seriously, where, where, and where someone in the novel notices that Captain Picard resembles Professor X, and this is before <laughs> he was cast as Professor X. Yes, that's kind of like in uh, Deep Space Nine, where uh, Nod goes that uh, Cisco looks like um, Bell for the right. Bell riots. Right. He looks like Bell. And the last birthday that I had. For nineteen, from March twenty eighth this week in nineteen fifty three, Doug Drexler was born. Hey, yeah, and Doug Drexler, of course, everybody knows. I mean that that guy, his um, his CV is really wild. I don't think I knew how much that man has done. He has not only been a digital artist and starting out as a makeup artist on Star Trek, but he's been a, a stand in in episodes of Star Trek. He's been the ensign who stands over the side and doesn't say anything. He's done set design as well. And something I found out that was very interesting is Drexler is one of those people who's been a Star Trek fan for his entire life. And yeah. he resolved when he was very young to get on the Star Trek. 
Well, in the meantime, he did a little minor thing, went off and did some Hollywood stuff and won an Academy Award for makeup for the film Dick Tracy. And then after that, he pursued Star Trek. And when he went to Star Trek, uh, Michael Westmore, another Academy Award winning guy, literally said to him, why the hell do you want to come here and you've won an Academy Award? There's no way I can pay you as much and it can't possibly be as prestigious. But he decided he wanted to do it anyway. And that's been like the, the that's been the, the best thing he says he's ever done was working on Star Trek for several, several years. Oh, yeah. He's on the Orville now. He's and before that Battlestar Galactica. He's he stays involved with the sci fi. Even I mean, way back before he was even in the industry, mm-hmm. um, working at the Federation Trading Post, which is a Star Trek store in New York City back in the 70s. Um, and they and making, I think, the first um, Star Trek magazine. I, I want to say the Star Trek poster book. May, I, I might be getting the, the title of it wrong. But um, yeah, Doug Drexler's been all over Star Trek for as long as there's been Star Trek, <laughs> you know, well, yeah. privately and professionally. <laughs> yeah, that's just fascinating. And that was all that I found that was of interest for this week in Trek history. Well, that's great. Did you have anything, Veronica? Uh, no, but I noticed that Alan was slowly getting quieter and quieter, and I wasn't sure if it was his mic or if something was shifting, and I just couldn't hear him anymore. Oh, I'm 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 being respectful of Keith's segment. Okay, I wasn't sure. <laughs> well, I was talking I was, all over Keith's segment. I, what are you trying to say? <laughs> <laughs> but <laughs> when you were talking, it was like very very quiet. It sounded like this, so I don't know what you were. Yeah. I Anyways, not being weird. <laughs> Charles, you have a gift for color commentary, so keep on talking. I like interjecting my thoughts. It's a podcast. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, we're going to take a quick break uh, to hear a promo from one of our fellow ESO Network podcast shows. And then when we come back, we'll leap right into our discussion topic. So stay right where you are. I'm Martha Bartlett, and this is But First, Let's Talk Nerdy. Clink. Oh, how was that? That's going to be our promo. <laughs> Done. Cut it, Kevin. Send it. Bam. But First, Let's Talk Nerdy. It's two nerd girls talking about nerdy things over a couple of drinks. What could go wrong? Part of the ESO Network. All right, so our discussion topic this week was brought to us by Keith. And Keith, you want to tell us what we're talking about this week? Yes, we're going to discuss the first officers of the Trek universe. So everybody knows the first officers. Spock, probably the most famous. Yep. Other first officers, people say, eh, I don't really like that person. I've been watching Voyager recently. I'm on a Voyager rewatch. And one of the things that kind of stunned me was how much I like Chakotay. Hmm. Uh, what surprised me more is how much I think Robert Beltran was completely underused in that episode, in that series. And there are many times where basically Chakotay is telling Janeway, look, why don't we just give up? You know, why don't we just find a nice planet and settle down here? Or sometimes his methods make me wonder if he would have been more of a Maquis type captain than Janeway was. There's times where he's even said straight out, does the first, does the um, prime directive matter out here? And just looking at the interaction between Chakotay and Janeway just made me start thinking about the first officers again and asking that eternal question, how would the show have been different if this character had become the captain instead of the actual captain? Do you like this first officer or not? Is this a good first officer or not? That just got me thinking about all that, especially what happened with Discovery as well. Hmm. Okay. Yeah. So I guess the, 
it makes sense to start at the beginning with number one, who was, while she wasn't the first first officer we saw on Star Trek, she was the first one that they cast. And, you know, the, the first attempt at a first officer. Mm-hmm. Um, and which is interesting now because she's back, you know, in a, in a new form. Uh, so what, what, what was your opinion of, of number one? Can I admit something up front, which is horrible? Okay. <laughs> I completely forgot number one in the first office. <laughs> so when you said number one, uh, oh, crap. Yeah, that's right. So <laughs> not Picard's dog. No, uh, no. Not that. All right. No, 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 no number one fans. No. Yeah, I, well, okay. I'll step in. I was going to let, so I've been talking. So I was going to see if your Veronica wanted to say something first. <laughs> I am, I am excited to see her more because she was not. There wasn't a lot of her and her personality and in general in Discovery. So I'm very much looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with it later on. And she is married to another first officer. Yeah, that's true. Um, Yeah, number one from the cage was didn't get a lot of characterization. She's sort of just the cold computer. And they've sort of um, they've made her a lot sassier when they brought her back on Discovery. She's Mm -hmm. a bit more of a, a fast talking you know, sort of 1940s kind of kind of lady. Maybe it's the hair that makes me think that. But um, she seems to be uh, a lot more on Pike. You know what I mean? Um, sort of one step ahead of him as from what we saw of her on Discovery. But uh, I, I like, I thought the character was intriguing. And I think, I mean, I, I'm not the only one who thought so because she's been in a lot of novels and things over the years. But a, a lot of it because she's such a character of mystery on the original series. But I think it's a pretty bold choice to start a show and, you know, filming in 1964 with a female first officer. Absolutely. And that the, the computer attitude that she has, I think really was to cover the, so they can say, well, she, you're not a regular woman. You're, you're, you're a little bit different, you know? So people wouldn't be maybe quite as threatened by her, um, <laughs> which I don't think worked, but I think it worked for us in the long run because we got that, at, those attributes moved over to Spock when they, when they nixed that character. Right. But, you know, at the same time, you know, sixties and seventies, there was talk of, you know, what happens when we end up with a female president of the mm-hmm. United States and people would nix that idea because women are too emotional. Right. You know, they will they will not make rational decisions. They will press the button, you know, too quickly <laughs> because they will be ruled by their emotions. So is this yeah. attempt of them to, you know, sort of downplay that or erase that angle to sell the idea of a female first officer to an audience? Yeah, maybe a bit of overcompensation if that's the case. <laughs> what if she has no emotions? Then she's fine, right? Exactly. But, um, yeah, yeah. That's a, that's that that's a good point. I've always found number one from as uh, Major Barrett's number one. I've always found her to be an incredibly uh, emotionally powerful character. Both me being as a black man and me being old enough to have watched the original series, not when it aired, but not too long after it was in reruns. And I remember clear as day being a young man and watching her because I didn't see that episode first. I may have mentioned before, there was some really, really, really weird thing that went on in Texas where five episodes of Star Trek were not shown for years. Mm. And probably, gosh, this must have been 10 years after those, that episode aired. It was shown again on Dallas Fort Worth television. And I had never seen it before, even though I had seen everything else. And I clearly remember when she was on the bridge to see a woman on the bridge, that was like you were saying, Alan, that was a big deal. That was that was huge. And I'll never forget that it was still the 60s. So they still had to insert their sexism because when the yeoman comes up to talk to Captain Pike, 
he makes the comment, I still can't get used to having a woman on the bridge. Yeah. And then he looks, she looks and he goes, sorry, number one, I don't mean you. So to your point, they like, like with men, what personal thing for me, a lot of times back in the day, black men were emasculated that same way. You would have a black man, but I would feel like his power was taken away. You didn't want him too threatening. And there's a, there's a term you may or may not have heard of. It's a really, it's a really insulting term. It's a term called the magical Negro. Mm-hmm. And it refers yeah. to movie characters where the black guy is just so nice and he's so friendly and he helps everybody else. But he doesn't seem to have a life. He doesn't seem to have sex. He just seems to exist to make everybody else happy. And to <laughs> what you guys are, <laughs> what you guys are saying, I think that's what they did with number one, because they made her so smart, so intelligent, but they took out to use the term, almost all of her femininity out of her. Mm-hmm which I guess was the best they can do because by the same time, I clearly remember being a young child watching the scene when Pike had been kidnapped and they're in a briefing room and there's a room full of nothing but men. And they literally like, what do we do? And this is a powerful scene. Every man in the room looks to her. Yeah, They didn't just ask her, they looked to her and I was like, wow, that is huge. And she's the one who talked about how they could Back before they had phasers that could fire from the ship to the surface, that really cool device. Remember, they put it down on yeah. the surface, the transfer. That big cannon. Number, yeah, that thing was awesome. Number one was the one who did that. So I thought that was, I thought it was a really powerful thing. And I think that one of the worst things that ever happened in Star Trek was what they did to some of the women, getting rid of Janice Rand because she couldn't have a life outside of, of love interest for Kirk and getting rid of number one. And I've heard two things. I always wonder what you guys, what's the truth of this? I've heard that the network made Roddenberry get rid of number one simply because they could not tolerate a woman in such a high rank in that time. But I also heard they said you had too many women, like you already had Janice Rand as a yeoman, and you don't, they didn't want two women. And then you had Uhura, and they didn't want a number one in there. It's almost like you had your quota of women. So they said, knock her down to Nurse Chapel. I'm not sure what the true story of that is. Yeah, what you- I've heard several stories. Uh, one of them that um, they objected to Roddenberry's mistress being <laughs> such a prominent character on the show. Um, this is before she was his wife um, uh, and or and or didn't care for her as an actress. And so he brought her back later in a wig. You know, <laughs> in a different part. <laughs> now, what's true? I mean, it's Star Trek, so there's there's a, a different story every time you hear it. It seems like, yeah. But um, yeah, I I think that I I didn't care for her as much as Number One or as Nurse mm-hmm. Chapel. I think that she really came into her own as Walks Loxana Walks on a Troy. I'm tripping over her name because <laughs> uh, I think she's wonderful as Walks on a Troy. Yeah, like Troy, she kind of yeah, she's one of those where I love her and I hate her. I think when she's more serious, I like her more. And of course, I think who would have known that that Major Barrett was going to end up with such a long career as the voice of the computer and yeah. just yeah. everything. I mean, I've got Star Trek DVDs, you know, like the technical manuals on DVD and stuff, and her voice is all over the place. She must have been recording all the time for years. I mean, she's almost as ubiquitous like Google Maps or something like that. Yeah. That's kind of amazing. One last thing I have to say about number one, which I always found very interesting, is if you think about it, she comes in from the pilot as a very strong woman on the bridge, and they finally get rid of her. And the series ends with a really horrible episode, Turnabout Intruder, in which they acknowledge, and I know people argue this, but the truth is that show 100% was stating that women were not allowed to be captains in Starfleet at that time. And what a... What a kind of a horrible bookend. You come in with a really great female character and you get rid of her and you end the series with this really horrible show. The last line of the entire series was her life could have been as full, been as full as any woman's if only 
And so, like you said, Veronica, I think it's great that they're bringing her character back. And it's great that you got somebody like Rebecca Roman, who has so much presence. And I can't wait to see what they're going to do with her now. Yeah. Well, and now on the in the cage, Spock was just as emotional as anybody else in the show. <laughs> it now, was great. <laughs> when they got rid of uh, number one, they gave those right. emotionless aspects to Spock and made and promoted him to the, the role of first officer, which exactly. I think anyone would argue worked out great. Uh, absolutely. <laughs> uh, the emotional Spock who yells the women. Oh, yeah. Women. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and they made him shouty again in uh, in that short trek. One of the one of the turbo lift. Oh, they did. I yeah. got to see that. I haven't That's seen right. that. It's about his Spock's first day on the mm-hmm. Enterprise. Awesome. And number one tells me he doesn't have to shout. <laughs> Great. <laughs> so what do we think of, of uh, Spock as first officer of the Enterprise? And I mean. It's hard to argue that there's a better first officer than Mr. Spock. I am going to argue that point. There, though, okay, actually. go ahead. Awesome. Awesome. So, so the place for the captain is supposed to be on the bridge. Now, I, for one, seem to recall Kirk being on on the away missions every single time. I mean, there may have been like a couple of times where it was he was he wasn't down there with them, but he was very bad. Spock was very bad about keeping his captain where he's supposed to be. Riker, however, I don't remember more than once or twice when Jean-Luc went down on a away mission with them because he was in his place on the bridge. Well, 24th century captains have to be called a little bit. Back in the old <laughs> days, <laughs> they, they took charge. <laughs> yeah. And to your point, Veronica, when that encounter at Farpoint, I think Picard even said that it was on the record that Riker had gotten into a, a bit of an argument with his former commander on this last command because he wouldn't let this captain go down to some dangerous situation. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, Okay. Well, so minus one for Spock from Veronica. No, I love, so he's, 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 no, move on Charles. No, no, not negative one. Just, I don't think he was the best. It's fine. You don't like Spock. I'm finding this out now. Well, hey, I have a question of Veronica to your point, uh, and something that I've always I've always found interesting. A first officer is is a couple of three things. They're the executive officer, and then they're kind of in charge of the crew. And there are things that Spock did as first officer that you did like. Because I would argue to your uh, to agree with Veronica, he became in some ways more the science officer than the first. Yeah, officer. yeah, I think that's the the function he served initially mm-hmm. too in the cage. Mm-hmm. I if I'm remembering correctly, yeah. Um, and I don't think they really shifted him to an actual first officer role. No, he was first officer and science officer. Well, yes. Okay. So yes, but in so far as what he right. did, he didn't seem to say do bridge assignments or anything like that, or it was, it was pure, his pure science, his, his thing was all science stuff. Well, he's, he's in charge of the science department. And when Kirk's out of commission or on a planet, Spock can take over. And there's always somebody complaining, usually Bones, yeah. <laughs> about him taking over. What do you think, Alan? <laughs> <laughs> I love Spock as a character. <laughs> I do. Do you? I do. But you don't think he was a great first officer? I don't think he was a great first officer. I think he was a great science officer. Mm. But first officer, I don't you know think he <laughs> measured up to writer. Yeah. You know, Veronica, how familiar are you with the first? And Charles, you know where I'm going with this. How familiar are you, Veronica, with the first, say, six episodes of the original series? 
she would have no married. idea what episodes those are. No, ah. I have no idea which episodes those are. <laughs> okay. I know, I know the cage is one of them, and I know the one with the salt vampire is one of them. Uh, the and, man trap, yeah, um, maneuver, yeah, Charlie, Charlie X, is in there. yeah, Mud's women. The enemy reason within. I the enemy within, um, where no man has gone before, the second pilot that, yeah. um, and the reason I say that is uh, Veronica. One of the things I've said this many times, I know um, Charles Nallen said this as well, just as people, I think, have sometimes a strange view of William Shatner as Kirk and, and William Shatner has a strange view of himself as Kirk. If you look at the first six to a dozen episodes of the original series, it's a different Kirk. He's commanding and he's powerful. And he's a great actor. And the reason I say that is if you look at the first few episodes of the original series, Spock is more of a first officer than like a science officer. For example, in the episode uh, where no man has gone before, that's the famous one where they go beyond the edge of the galaxy. They hit the energy barrier and Kirk's <laughs> buddy, Gary Mitchell, gains powers. If you watch that, when they're going into the barrier, it is Spock giving all the orders to the crew. It is not Kirk. Kirk is sitting there and watching. And Spock is the one saying, shills up, do this and so forth. He is actually acting like an executive officer. And even in episodes such as, um, gosh, what is the Balance of Terror with the Romulans? You see Spock going down to, I still don't get the phaser control room where you have the screen <laughs> phasers. Then somebody on another deck pushes a button for the phasers. But Spock is the one going down there and asking them what the status is. And even in, um, gosh, episodes like Mud's Women, Mud's Women, yeah, like you mentioned, Charles Mud's Women, Spock is the one who is saying, here's this colony that we, this mining colony that we found. And they did something that was kind of old naval tradition they got rid of. If you watch those first half dozen or so episodes, Kirk would do that old school thing where he would, Spock would be standing right there and Kirk would say, uh, make for this colony, Mr. Spock, warp five. And then Spock would tell the helmsman, helmsman yeah. warp five. So he actually did look much more like a traditional first officer at the very start of the original series. And, but to your point, they kind of lost it. And I don't know if there's really been a really good exec on that level since those first few episodes. Well, I think he's a great first officer because he offers a, a very clear, distinct viewpoint from the captain that's often at odds with the captain's point of view. Um, right. I mean, Kirk and Spock are going to look at any problem and come up with very, maybe they'll come up with the same solution, but like very different ways of getting there. And I think he challenges Kirk. And mm. I think that, that is true. he's a, a very vital viewpoint yes. for Kirk to have. The, you know, if you don't know what's going on, don't know what to do, you turn to Spock, Spock's got the answers. But right. like I said, often that, you know, they can, you know, they can be at odds, you know, and I think, and he's not afraid to, to tell Kirk you know, or to, you know, run off half cocked when he needs to. <laughs> <laughs> I, I, will, I will give, I will go Spock that he definitely does be like, Hey, Hey captain that no, let's not do that. Don't backtrack. We know how you more feel. More than, than uh, Riker <laughs> ever did. <laughs> <laughs> um, so one of the things that we were uh, talking about is um, mm -hmm. the first officer as captain. Um, so, and we had an episode where Spock is basically in command of a mission and uh, makes calls yeah. that his crew disagrees with, mm -hmm. making them purely out of logic. And he expects his crew to go along with him because he knows that he's right. He knows that he's making the right, right. call, but he doesn't explain himself to his people. He expects them to fall in line. Um, and we saw the same thing in Next Generation with Data when they're in a battle situation and data is given control of the enterprise and he makes calls that 
seem like they're going to be um, inhuman in a way because they seem like they're callous and, uh, you know, not taking officers' lives into consideration. He makes calls that his crew disagrees with and he orders them basically to fall in line behind him because he knows that the calls that he's making are right, even though he is not explaining because they're in a tense situation. So um, what do you think? I would love to see a situation at some point where we are in a long running series like this and uh, three seasons, four seasons in the captain is killed and the first officer becomes the uh, captain. And we see how the dynamic of the ship changes. Um, That would be a fascinating situation to see what, if it had happened with Spock, how do you think the, the ship would run differently. How do you think the well, dynamic of the of show would change web under his command? When they mm-hmm. thought Kirk was dead, they even, you know, played his final orders yeah. to, you know, but, but right. a lot of it is Spock and McCoy at, at odds against that, you know, just like they were in the Galileo seven. Um, because you know, th- those guys are exact opposite <laughs> opinions on everything, you know? Um, but I think that, I'm, I'm thinking of, I, I, my, I keep coming back with Spock in command, even though he really wasn't in command much at all, is the doomsday machine. When, um, you know, no. Commodore Decker takes over and Spock's having to deal with that situation there, you know, following the letter of the protocol. But as soon as he's got the opportunity to seize command and save the ship, he, he does it, you know? Do you think that we would see a sort of like a, not a toning down necessarily of Spock's approach, but do you think that we would see the crew eventually start to uh, more naturally fall in line behind him because they learn to trust his. I think so. I think over time style, they, they would, you know, if like you say, if all of a sudden there was a season four and Spock was the captain, I think that, you know, right. there would be a lot of, you, you probably have some right. rehashing of the sort of balance of terror or Galileo seven type, you know, people hesitant to, to follow this alien. But um, no, I think especially the bridge crew uh, would over time, you know, fully support him and, and learn, like you say, learn to trust him. I think so too. And I think, I think to your point, I yeah. think what it, that's what it boils down to. Even if you look at the different captains, what the, I think in some ways, because for years, the captains, even though they have different personality, the captains can, because of how they interpret it in the, in the in the Star Trek world, the captains can kind of all be cut from the same cloth, but the first officers sometimes have a little bit more variation in personality. And so to your point, I think that if Spock had become captain and Kirk had left, the ship would have just readjusted to Spock and Spock would have readjusted to them. Hmm. I think it would have been like a next generation of Jellicoe had taken over the Enterprise. <laughs> You might you, you might hate his guts, but the guy knows how to get stuff done. And right, personally, right. I don't like to work for people like Jellicoe personally, but I know. Yeah. But, you know, I know that it would. And I think Spock would end up having a very good ship. I think that it would have been it would definitely be a different dynamic if he kept McCoy on. I can see McCoy kind of help mellowing him out a little bit more. But, uh, yeah, I think that. I tend to think that mm-hmm. with Spock, you probably wouldn't have had as many chances taken as Kirk would take sometimes. Mm. I think more often, you know, Kirk was famous for disobeying Admiral's orders. I think Spock would probably be less prone to do that. But I think that he would have been a really good captain in time. In time. And I also feel this is a personal thing, too. It's kind of like what we're saying about women and my personal pain, people of color. I think also because this was new, they really were kind of playing up Spock's kind of his, his Vulcanness. 
Right. I always have a question of how do you get, it's kind of like with data. I've always, I've, I've never, I've never understood. I've never gotten how data could be 20 years in Starfleet, third in command of the flagship of the Federation. And he still doesn't understand jokes. Right. Or he, doesn't, or he doesn't understand how to act. I mean, it's one thing if you can't feel it, but data is way too naive to go that far. Cause at some point in a 20 year Starfleet history, uh, career and on on the flagship, you would have commanded people. And data, you know, if he sucked at it that badly, he wouldn't have gotten that high. So I kind of felt they kind of overplayed Spock sometime with that. You know, he's so rigid. You know what I mean? So I think if they wrote Spock yeah, now, well, if we've seen, he might be a little different. That's true. I mean, but, they were definitely trying to play up his alienness because you have an entire crew of humans and he's the only outsider there. And they're right, really yeah. definitely emphasizing right. but I could that. See, I could also see Spock uh, make, I could see that, that attitude of his sometimes making mistakes because was it, to your point, Charles, was it the Tholian web where Spock kind of dismissively tells um, Tholian, we're not interested in your threats? And I remember was, he, he kind of says it just so callously. I think, well, even Kirk wouldn't have said that. But I always old- like when <laughs> Spock is not not intimidated by somebody. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if even Kirk would have said that. But yeah, I always, always love that line. I think at the end of the day, I think Spock as a commander, I think the ship would have been... I'm not going to say better, but I think like I think they would have had better. They would have had different skills. I think that people yeah. would have been probably. I think they would probably been better at their jobs in some ways than under Kirk because Spock's a Vulcan and Vulcans just they they brook no mistakes. Um, I think that people like Sulu and Scotty would have thrived under him, and I think Uhura would have thrived as yeah. with Spock as a captain also. Well, I think I think Kirk rubbed off on him a lot as well because you get to um, like the cloud minders. And she said, well, I've never seen a Vulcan before, Mr. Spock. He said, nor I, madam, a work of art. Oh, <laughs> like, no. you know, oh, he's, God, he's yeah. picking up a little Kirk along the way. Yeah, <laughs> Spock is macking in that episode, isn't he? And there's always been a question. It's like he, he barely would tell Kirk about it. And five minutes later, he's telling that lady on the Cloud City about his, his mating cycle. Yeah, what the yeah. heck? <laughs> well, it, it, it's interesting what Alan was saying about, you know, what it would be like if, you change the captain and the first officer became the captain in season, you know, three or four Mm -hmm. when they were sort of toying with that, when best of both worlds came out, um, as I understand it, you know, they were still, Mm -hmm. you know, renegotiating the contract with Patrick Stewart and gave themselves an out in case he didn't come back. And we might've had captain Riker from there on out, um, which, you know, talk about a a different captain who would change the dynamic of the ship as (laughs) Picard to Riker. Um, so, Veronica, you seem to be hot on on Commander Riker. <laughs> uh oh! <laughs> you want to explain to us why he's better than Spock? <laughs> so he, I feel like he does the job of a first officer more than Spock did. Okay. Not that I necessarily think one is better than the other, but I feel like doing the job of what I see as a first officer, I feel like Riker did it more than any of the other first officers. Okay. That yeah. So you think he was more of a true executive officer? Like I was, yeah. I was, just, I was just watching, uh, and just like that, I forget. Oh, the, I was just watching on um, BBC America the episode "Man of the People," and that's the one where that weird diplomat was basically shunting all of his negative emotions into Troy or any mm-hmm. other woman, and he burned her out. And one of the things going on was Riker comes in and says, "We've got to do crew evaluations." And to your point, I've never seen Spock do crew evaluations. <laughs> that would be funny to watch, though. <laughs> oh, God, would you, how would you like to be evaluated by a Vulcan? Oh, my gosh. Can you imagine that? No kidding. <laughs> they would all probably get bad grades. 
<laughs> yeah, I, I like Riker. I um, I, I sort of like with Chakotay, but not not as much. I feel like Riker uh, has sort of his teeth removed as the show went on. You know, like you you don't see yeah. him standing up to Picard all that often. Often right. it's now number one. Yes, sir. And, you know, exactly. And, and yeah. then, and that that'd be the end of it. You know, what Picard says goes. Which I mean, it should be. He's the captain, but um, yeah, I don't remember a lot of times where Riker is sort of standing right up to Cap- to Captain Picard. Right. He would never take the um, he would never take the the step that we saw in uh, First Contact, where uh, uh, what's her name comes into oh, Lily? the office and says, "Blow uh-huh. the damn ship up, Picard." Yeah, yeah, Lily. Thank you. Even Chicote gives, never gives see it back to Riker. Janeway a lot more than I think uh, than, than I think Riker did. But you know, the ne- next gen crew, they're one big happy family. You yes. know, yeah, right. And that's that whole thing about right. you don't have right. conflict between so you your think, main um, characters. What, what, what did you like right. most about Riker as a first officer, or his his traits that to what you're saying would be different from Picard? What he could bring. <laughs> <laughs> his trombone, and he can rock. He can rock a space blouse. <laughs> yeah, that's important. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or the way he stood the way he sat over in chairs. Yeah. As a as a not tall person, I'm I'm envious of his ability to step over very. chairs. Have you ever have you ever seen speaking of those? Have you ever seen those those cuts where people show things where oh, he's yes. he's trying he's kind of like really too close to data sometimes, <laughs> or he'll so throw his leg up on their console like, yeah. <laughs> bro. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Right. Like if data were human, he'd be like, "Can you scoot away a little bit, dude?" <laughs> yes, yeah, that's yeah, it. yeah. There's no HR on this Morgan. Well, you know, I think I always thought one of the problems with Riker is it was wasn't quite as much a problem with Spock. And you see this in a lot of shows is that to to show that how good everybody is, everybody is so awesome that your first question literally is why are they still there? And, you know, they they, they spent so much time saying Picard said Riker was the, ver- the best first officer ever. And then, of course, we had this weird thing with the man that turned down, I think, three commands by the time of the best of both worlds. Right. And so when you make him. So awesome, it 100% is illogical that he would not be a captain. And so, you know, they, they, they write themselves into a horrible corner at that point in time. But, but they don't really, because he keeps turning him down because he is just waiting for Picard to leave. He's <laughs> going to take yeah, command yeah. of the big ship. He knows how awesome he is. He knows he's too good to be, you know, busting. Oh, who was he Captain Melbourne, the Enterprise, on a right less there. important <laughs> ship? He's- but then there was that one ship, I forget the name of where he had the, what was the guy, Flaherty, the guy who could speak like 10 million languages. That, that was the one when his father came on board. Was it? Yeah. That was the one where his father, Riker's father came on board in that really horrible episode where they played that, they did that strange uh, jujitsu with the blindfolds on. Right. Yeah. And they were, to your point, I, I remember that because Picard said, when he talked about the ship, Picard said, um, you know, basically, it was a relatively unimportant ship and a relatively unimportant part of the galaxy. But in time, you would make it hum with your own personality. I'm thinking that's not a way to sell it, man. <laughs> <laughs> well, do y'all think, um, speaking of Riker, yeah, Riker true. was obviously, as everybody said, Riker was Kirk. That was pretty obvious. He was he was kind of like the, he was the new Kirk. And to your point, did he ever get to live up to his potential in the series because of that? Because I don't think he became a, he never got to live up to his potential as, as a commander. And I don't think he really got to live up to potential as kind of like, I don't know, the love interest of the daring do guy because you still got Picard there as number, as the first lead in the series. 
Yeah, I think that he got he got some times, you know, his times to shine. I think, you know, especially Best of Both Worlds is a great Riker story. And, you know, because you've got Shelby there who's directly challenging him. Like, you don't have what it takes. You're in the way. You can't make the big calls. And then, like, 10 minutes later, you know, fire. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> yeah. And she's the one saying get Starfleet on the line, basically. Right. There's not enough time. Yeah. Um, I like Riker. I think, you know, the, the cliche is true. Once he grows the beard, um, he yes. gets better and the show gets better. Yes. Um, but I, I love that we're able to get glimpses of him now as the captain who swoops in to save the day at the end of every season of Star Trek. Um, because, you know, we they sort of tease that for seven years and then across the movies of Captain Riker. You know, when will he be the captain? And uh, we're, we're finally we finally made it there. Well, do you think how how different would the Enterprise have been yeah. under Riker as captain? And of course, we saw that in gosh, what's the name of the episode where Worf keeps popping between dimensions? Uh, um, parallels. Parallels. Yeah. Yeah. Are you talking about the one where he's all scraggly from board? <laughs> that was a great. I don't think that's the oh one yeah, that was great. He's screaming. We won't go back. I was thinking of the one. Uh, was it Future Imperfect where um, he sees the, the version of the future where he's the captain? Yeah. Picard has a little beard. Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> That's a great one. Yeah. Yes. I love I think, that. Uh, I think Riker as captain would be, in a lot of ways, the opposite of a Jellicoe as captain or a Spock as captain. I think because Riker is a really easygoing guy. And I think, but the thing is, he's a great Starfleet officer. And I think people would be relaxed. I think Riker's the kind of guy, you know, he reminds me of Riker, reminds me of the way Pike kind of came off in discovery he's introduced really good really smart really capable but everybody likes him and not all leaders even in you know real life in the business world a lot of leaders i've worked with some they don't think that your people should like you they think they should fear you or they should respect yeah. you. and Riker's not that kind of guy and we know jean luke he wasn't about people fearing or respecting him he just wasn't comfortable loosening up with, his, with people, he wasn't comfortable showing himself. Riker, I think, is the kind of captain that people would like to work for, but that does not mean, as Jellico thought, that he was not a good cap. He wouldn't be a good captain. To I be fair to Jell, you keep thinking about Jellico. I think we need a Jellico episode because yes. Jellico, I think, it's a bad rap because he's right yeah. most of the yeah. time in that I do, episode. I do agree with you. And yeah. bringing it back to Riker, I mean, you get mm-hmm. that 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 bit in Chain of Command where Jellico tells him, you know, put us on the the four duty shifts. And then later on at the party, he mentioned the four. Oh, yeah, I didn't do that. We talking about you didn't do that. I ordered you to do that earlier in this episode. Like, I don't got time to fool around. Like, do, do what I tell you. I'm the captain. I will agree with face you. The Cardassians. <laughs> I will agree with you. Jellico's right. I just don't like his. I wouldn't want to work under Jellico. But I agree with you. He was right with that. <laughs> but at the same time, and, and now we're getting off topic, but he, he again, in a in a in an emergency situation, possibly more likely a temporary station he does not have time to be friendly his job is to get this stuff done and to make the crew fall in line he does not have time to coddle people he's i mean it's it's a very very different situation i would love to have seen a season or two with jellico Jellico. i've been i've been i would have been cussing him all the time but i hear you (laughs) (laughs) you know yeah, I always That's had a really right. crazy you kind of still fantasy do what with he next said. generation, kind of like what they ended up doing with Battlestar Galactica. And I knew it was, like we said, it was completely impractical because you write these characters and everybody's perfect. And so you're always sitting there going, you do ask the question, why isn't Beverly still running Starfleet Medical? Why isn't so-and-so? I always wish that they could have somehow during the series 
carved off Riker and Worf to another ship and let Riker and Worf have a ship, let Riker command a ship, let Worf is his first officer. And then I really wish they could have left Picard with Shelby as first officer and run dual adventures with two ships. Never could have happened. Never could have happened. But I would have loved to have seen young Riker in his prime run off at Worf. They'd probably be fighting all the time, fighting other people all the time. I thought that I wish they could have Or fighting over Deanna all the time. (laughs) (laughs) I I would like to see Captain Jellicoe Commander Shelby because I think I would love to have seen Commander Shelby continue as a first officer character in any or as a captain. I I just love that character. Wow. Yeah. Wow, I never thought what a combination. Jellicoe Shelby. Yeah, I'm probably I'm probably stealing that from the New Frontier novels. But <laughs> they're both in wow. those. But they're right. uh, great characters. I think would have played well off of each other. Um, mm-hmm. Well, what do we think? We don't. We don't really have time to dive into a, another major character. So, just shooting off the Riker thing for a minute. What do we think of uh, Shelby and her and her role as Riker's first officer for a short period of time? I loved her. I mean, I was so impressed yeah. with uh, the character and the actress. I thought um, he needed. That can, yeah. that kind of character, that challenge to play, to push him forward. And man, I just thought she, I loved the tension. I loved the dynamics. Oh, yeah. I loved that she called him out on everything yeah. he did. I love that she would overstep yeah. him. Yeah, you, I thought yeah. she was fantastic. We've got it. There's two, there's two series, of, there's two shows we got to review. It looks like we got to, we need to do a special focus on the best of both worlds and chain of command because I could see yeah. some interesting conversations from here. I like Shelby. I thought a couple times she stepped beyond. Like when she went to Picard over Riker, that actually pissed me off. I would have, I would have, I would have ripped her a new one too for doing something oh, yeah. like that. Yeah, and yeah. she's too overeager sure. and too. She was definitely sure a herself. hothead. But that's that comes with being what twenty seven or whatever she was. You know, she um and like Riker even says, she's like him when he was younger and still had that fire in his belly. And by contrast, she made him seem a lot exactly right. older, more comfortable. Um, especially on a ship like the Enterprise where everyone is so cozy, right? And no yeah, one's yeah. gonna say you suck at your job. <laughs> you know, she's that yeah. person that comes to work and says you suck at your job. You know, step it up. <laughs> You know, strangely, um, as a personal opinion, that entire Shelby Riker arc, in my opinion, in my opinion, takes away from the quality of that show. Really? I, yeah, I actually, I actually feel like they waste too much time with that. And I, it just like, and like when they go to the card game and she beats him at cards, I'm like, okay, I get it. Mm-hmm. I get it. It, it. And then they arm it, wrestle and she wins. <laughs> <laughs> but to you guys point. I think, and maybe in the other universe, the one that Worf bumped into where Picard had died by the Borg and, and Riker was captain, um, had Picard died, to your point, I think that Shelby and Riker would have been a phenomenal duo. Because one, you take away the jealousy because she is now first officer and he's captain. And now she's like, okay, you need, you need to do what you should have been doing in the first place. Mm-hmm. I think they would have ended up being a great, a great pairing. Um, and she I, did too. Once he was captain, she fell right in line. And, right. You know. Right. It's too bad, Elizabeth. Yeah. Then he was never brought back yeah. in anything else. Uh, I would have loved to see her yet. <laughs> uh? <laughs> I would not be surprised if Captain Shelby turns up. <laughs> I, I'm telling you, yeah. Lower Decks will have her one, on. One quick Season thing: three, we're running out of time. Um, I remember back when Shelby came out, there was a bunch of conversation, and this happens when you do people who are not white men. There was a lot of discussion on was she written that way because she was a woman being pushy 
And did it make her look bad because she was a woman back then being pushy? As in, could they win? And that, that, that I don't know if you guys remember, that was a huge discussion back in the day. Because you remember also that was around the time Diana Moldar went on from um, Star Trek to um, L.A. Law. And she was called the quote unquote pushy woman because she was confident. And I remember back in the time there was huge discussion on was that Shelby written like that because she was a woman? And if she wasn't, should they have done a woman character like that? Because it made her look pushy in a time where men would just go, oh, look at that, another pushy woman. I mean, what's the alternative to, you know, I mean, either mm-hmm. either you make her look pushy or you make Thank her look you. docile. You know, like mm-hmm. if, if you're mm-hmm. if you're opposed to a female character, then you're not going to be happy no matter what she does. Right. So I, I love that she was a, a firecracker, you know, that, right. you know, she didn't take any guff from anybody that she was shown to be very competent, even though she was, you know, has she had that youthful over eagerness that needed to be tempered with experience. Uh, and I wasn't part of the fan conversations back then because I was yeah. 1990. I'd have been nine. <laughs> <laughs> so well, I, I, was... I wasn't following the <laughs> feminist literature and things at that time. Yeah. But, uh, you know, I I, th- I think Shelby's a great character, and it seems like at least today, everybody loves her. I I, yeah. I never come across anybody that just hates Shelby. Yeah, I don't. I agree with that. I like her too. I, I wish like we could have seen it. Well, she I know she was supposed to get the fleet back up, and wasn't she in charge of rebuilding the fleet? With the last thing they said in that episode. Yeah, I think so. Yeah, I'd like to see that. Veronica, do you remember Shelby? No. <laughs> <laughs> You gotta watch That's, that. One, you gotta watch best. You remember that time Picard got captured by the boy? Oh, I don't want to spoil it for you. Oh, I've seen. <laughs> I remember that. That's part of a yeah. movie. Yeah. Sort of, kind of, almost not. Really. All right. Well, we're we're right at our hour, so it looks like we're gonna have to circle back to our discussion of the first officers because we made it through three of them. <laughs> <laughs> we kind of figured that. Yeah. Uh, so, if people want to hear more about what you think, Alan, where can they find you on the internet? Okay. Well. Um, my publishing company is Cosmic Press, K-O-Z-M-I-C press.com. Um, I'm with Hulanta, Doctor Who Convention. We're doing a uh, virtual Hulanta on May 29th. Uh, you can find us at hulanta.org. And I now do a Sunday evening music show on Facebook and on YouTube. Um, so you, I don't have a way to tell you what my YouTube address is because I don't have a hundred followers yet. So I can't do a, you know, but yeah, so find look out, for me on Facebook on and you'll find well, me. And then subscribe to his show so he can create a title for it. <laughs> yes. Yeah. What about you, Keith? You can find me primarily on Facebook. I'm on all the earth station, Facebook pages. And I also have an Instagram K Johnson. You can look for me there, but primarily Facebook for me. And how about us, Veronica? Feltnerdy.com. Which brings you back to our Facebook page. Yeah. Because we're lazy for like the last seven years. Um, and, you know, we're, we're working on getting some things filmed. And so we hope to have more content than just our Facebook page. Uh, not going to conventions, sort of put a break on everything that we had planned doing. Um, and we've been sort of reeling this year. But we hope to get some more things going in the coming year. So follow us on Facebook. And uh, as always, you know, join us on the Earth Station Trek Facebook group and join in the conversations there. Oh, Veronica, Oh, take us out with a tagline. I, I forgot again. <laughs> I know. <laughs> up, up, and away. <laughs> Work on it. <laughs> Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. 
You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.